0: When I see guys dying, I want to know what their path was, what happened, what did you stop doing?
1: Welcome back to Gangsters and Gals. You are listening to our addiction and mental health series. Today we have a very special guest, but before we get into that, we want to dedicate this podcast to a dear friend, to a lot of us, uh, Patrick, who sadly recently lost his battle with addiction, but it really solidifies why we're doing this and why why we're doing what we're doing and why we're talking about it. And we're bringing awareness and bringing light to a topic that is heavy and people are trying to resolve it and come up with solutions and it's a big it's a big undertaking but we want to we're doing our part and we're we're going to keep fighting the good fight and so this one's
2: for for you Patrick and Sam you want to say something yes uh Everyone in this room here knew Patrick, and we all lost Pat this week, um, which I think broke a lot of hearts, and uh, I just appreciate all you guys still being here and showing up this weekend to do this, because it is so important, you know, and um, I know, especially both you guys have gone through, Stephen, especially, a lot of... A lot of shit with this mental health and addictions and losing a lot of people. And uh, it um. It takes a lot to show up, like, right after and be able to talk about it when something happens. But uh, to keep showing up and, like, talking about it, too. And we have so to keep talking about it. We this one's for Pat Young. We miss you.
1: Yeah. So today we have a special guest. We're going to introduce Steven. Steven is a addictions counsellor at Wilkinson Jail and Stephen I'm gonna let you give us a little intro
0: thanks Brie and thanks Sam for asking me to come and do this it is a yeah it's a privilege to get asked to come anywhere and and talk about stuff that I feel passionate about and yeah I I knew I knew Patrick as well and I I met Patrick when I, I mean I work at one jail and I volunteer at another one and I met Patrick, when I was volunteering at the other one. Uh, there's frustration there's frustration in it for me when somebody dies with addiction because I know it doesn't need to happen. It doesn't need to. And I knew that Patrick didn't, you know, he didn't need to die. But there's also, for me, there's also a bit of a, oh, well, it's kind of another one. You know, I've, I've, and I'm in recovery myself. I've been clean for 23 years. And over that time, I've, it's countless. And in my addiction, I believe countless people that have died that I've known. I couldn't even remember. Most of them have been thousands, honestly. So, yeah, it, it's the reality about addiction. It's an unfortunate thing. It's a chronic and fatal disease that has a high mortality rate. That's the reality of it. And I spend my time... I, I Sometimes I question myself because I choose to spend my time around that stuff five days a week and for the last 37 years of my life i've been around addicts and in one form or another and now i get paid for it i get paid to do it uh yeah my own i'll, I'll tell you a wee bit about me my own experience is I, i'm a recovering addict i'm an ex-con uh, i started using drugs when i was like 14 or something like that and you know, and thought I'd found the answer to all my all my problems when I when I was able to get out of my head and get out of my feelings and and for the last twenty-three years I've been in recovery, I've been a member of a twelve step programme and and I choose to give back by by working with the folks that are kinda at the, the lowest place in, in society. I work with my peeps. <laughs> It's really, they're my peeps, man. They're my people. I get them. I get them on a level that most people won't. Mm-hmm. So I understand the trauma. I understand the hate, self-hatred and the shame and the guilt and the fear and the the the, f- the vulner- vulnerability. I, I understand all that stuff. So I, that's what I do for a living.
2: I often think about how lucky a lot of the guys are to have you at that jail, because I know that they're coming in, especially into a jail, they're coming in mostly from the street, haven't been charged yet, maybe in remand, waiting sentencing, and there's, like, so much anger and, like, upheaval at that time in someone's life going into the system. And I think it's, like, you're not only, you know, really helping people uh, you know, a really low end of society with no resources, but also for a lot of them, like their lowest or most angry place. Yeah. They can like really relate. You can, yeah, like you like, said, you mm-hmm. relate to them.
0: Yeah, they're, they're, for sure they come in and they're, they're totally oblivious. In fact, the, the vast majority of them know that they're addicts, but they don't really know what that means. They don't really get it. And they're surrounded by people telling them that it's, that it's a drug problem. And it's not addiction has got nothing to do with drugs. Drugs are the, the solution to the, to the living problem. The problem's always been me, and and I find ways to cope with being me that are not healthy over the long term, and and that that's the The hard part about working with guys at Wilkinson because they're they're really in early recovery. It's like they they're they're planets away from understanding that insight or self-awareness even exists
2: well and like you just said too so many of them don't even understand like what addictions actually is yet and they've been fed information or education about it being you know specifically related you know to drugs or to these other things that aren't necessarily you know how you self-cope or self-heal and so to even come in at that point and have to like start learning I bet would be It's like a really particular point in the process of addictions.
1: Yeah, I love that you said that addiction is not the drug itself. I think that that is something we really need to bring to light that under the drugs is actually trauma, is actually, you know, self-hatred. And it comes from, it can come from the way, how you grew up, not having the right role models in life, peer pressure, it's endless. There are so many different factors and every individual, while they'll have similarities, they're so different and they need to be treated differently. And like you said, the drug is what numbs it. That is what numbs it. And that is what takes it away for a temporary solution. Yeah. And we're not looking at that. And we keep putting temporary fixes. Use air quotations. Uh, out there that are just not working. So, I want to talk about kind of what you see day in and day out.
0: Well, I mean, the prevailing wisdom is that I should be a, I should be called a substance abuse counsellor. I, I refuse to do that. I'm not, I'm, a, I'm an addiction counsellor because, mate, I kind of think. I mean, this might be a bit controversial, but I kind of feel like it's like me trying to tell you what it's like to have your period. <laughs> right? I would never do that. I have no idea what it's like for you to go through that process. I know that it's hard, and it, and it and it's it, it's a yeah, it's just it's a hard time of the month for people. And, but I would never do that. So, so if you're not an addict and you've no experience of stuff that addicts have experienced, stop telling them what to do. <laughs> It's a it's it's a struggle for me with that and it and these guys come in and their their heads are loaded with information they're loaded. I also there's another thing that's going to be controversial. I don't believe trauma causes addiction.
1: Okay.
0: That's another. That's the end. That's the dare thing right now. Is like, trauma is the cause of everything and that's wrong in the world. Well, everything that's tra- everybody that was traumatized is not an addict. And. It's true, you yeah, you're know, right. You're right. I, I personally, I think it's a, it's a mixture of nature and nurture. 99.9% of people that are addicts have got it in their family. They've got some sort of addiction in their families. And if, if you've got an immediate family member that's an addict then there's a four in seven chance you're going to end up with the same genetic makeup. I don't think that everybody that's got that de- ends up in that, but it depends on the nurture part of it as well mm-hmm. and how you grow up. There's three rules in an addicted household. Unspoken rules. Nobody knows that they exist, but they exist. Don't talk, don't trust, and don't feel. So when you grow up in a household where that's the stuff that's getting fed to you, that's how you go into the world with that kind of stuff and you don't know how to cope. People don't know how to deal with everyday life. They they don't don't have the tools. And this is what I see in Welkie. I see a whole bunch of people with the the wrong tools. They they just don't have them. Their house needs rewired. This is an analogy, a metaphor I like to use. So you're moving into recovery, your house needs rewired. You've got a bag full of plumber's tools and you're in there clanking around trying to fix it with a set of tools that that don't fit the job. You need me and people like me to give you new tools and show you how to use them. But we have guys that are so like, just so far away from understanding that they need to stop and feel the feelings and and get dirty for a while before they can do that stuff, and it's too scary for them.
2: Understanding is, like, it's such a big thing, and this week, my mom, who... Stephen, I believe you met my mom. Possibly. Uh, I think you, uh, you definitely did, because uh, she was at the prison play. Right. And... I looked out I like peeped out and I was like she's okay she's okay. Steven's talking her ear off. Um, I never <laughs> got to meet Ruthie. I'm so jealous. I was I, Jenny and I like set it up who Jenny is Steven's wife and uh, cuz my mom came alone right. to support me but she's you know from out of town and things like that and I was like I need her to have a buddy and Jenny was like I'm on it. Steven loves Steven loves moms. I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm on it and she like and I remember like looking out and was like nice. Um, Stephen
0: loves bombs. I know. That, could, that <laughs> could have so many meanings.
2: I know. <laughs> I was like, do we need to we'll disclaimer? leave it open and no. we'll
0: <laughs> leave it for interpretation.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but um I called my <laughs> mom this weekend, told her about Patrick. And uh, we were just talking a lot. But, you know, like you were saying, like the understanding of it. Like my family has like no history of addictions. And my partner's family has such an intense history of addictions, and only, like, not until we started dating did I realize, too, like, addictions is such an everyday thing, you know, and it doesn't matter if you're, you know, one day sober, 20 years sober, like, in it. I was talking to my mom, and I was like, you never, like, we've never had to have that every day, and, like, we all have, tra- I have trauma, but, like, I do have to deal with it in different ways. And drugs, not unfortunately, but like, you know, I've done drugs and it's, it doesn't help that. And I know for some people, or maybe it helps them get their mind or whatever, but it's, um, yeah, the note about trauma was just really interesting in terms of addictions. Um, I feel like I just kind of went off on a really random note, but, uh. No, it it relates.
1: (laughs) I mean, I think the understanding of it, I've had addiction through my family. Um, my mom has, she could be on a whole podcast. My mom has a story mm-hmm. to tell. Uh, my mom is not a, uh, an addict herself. However, her, her biological father died of alcoholism. That is what killed him. And uh, my mom, yeah, she's got, she has a story to tell um, based on addiction within her family. And I, so, yes, the understanding piece. is is key and I kind of want to go back to you talking about the unspoken words and the don't feel and don't trust and and that when you grow up with that, that's now your second nature and I think it causes so much fear in individuals and then they don't seek out the help that they need or the support systems they need and they all think, I don't need it. I'm not an addict. What? I'll I'll be one time, two times. I'll be fine.
0: Well, and what doesn't mean? I mean, this is, this is where I might piss people off of me, but
1: we're what, all about that now.
0: <laughs> what, what what doesn't help? I mean, and, and like the older I get, and the more the, the longer I'm around in, in recovery and life, you know, you grow up with all these anecdotes and adages like the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I see that a lot with guys coming out. of... Coming out of jail, coming out of prison, it's like they get hooked up with people who are, love them dearly, but don't understand addiction and don't don't uh, they're not giving them the right messages. They're loving them, but they're and this is what this is the part where I'm going to annoy you, you, you weed smokers. <laughs> it's like real addicts. Somebody who's a who's a genuine addict, and if they're smoking weed every day, they're still in addiction they're still in their addiction, and that stuff is progressively, it might take five months, it might take five years, it might take ten years, progressively that's going to get worse. It's going to prevent them from growing emotionally and spiritually and mentally because they're still avoiding the, the realities of the, who they think they are. The real, the, they might not even be aware of it, but they're, they're avoiding it, and this is what likely what's happened. When I see guys dying I want to know what their path was what happened what did you stop doing and generally they stop doing the stuff that's good for them they stop hanging out with the people that are that are in their corners they stop talking to the people that support them and love them just for who they are they stop going to their meetings they stop talking to their counsellors they stop doing the things that feed their recovery rather than feed their illness and eventually they start talking themselves into ah, just this once I'll be all right nobody will know I'll be okay and then they start listening to the delusion, and the denial again, which epitomizes addiction. Addiction is is at its core is a, is selfish, and is like typified with denial and delusion. We'll convince ourselves they're the most outrageous nonsense. Even I mean, I'm 23 years clean. I'm still an addict. I know I am. I still behave in ways. I'll still I'll use other things. I'll use sugar, Netflix, porn, whatever to to avoid my reality. I've used everything and anything above to to avoid my realities in the moment. And I don't feel good about myself. It doesn't feed my spirit. It doesn't keep me in recovery.
2: I think that's something that's really difficult in terms of understanding is like when someone is struggling with addictions or maybe using, they might not be in this reality of, you know, logic. And I think that that's it's really hard to watch for sure because you want to tell the people you love that you fucking love them and like, you don't want them to die and shit, but it's like, you're not even on the, you know, you're not on the same page, let alone the same book. And it's so hard to find like how to connect those two to like let them know. And I guess I'm wondering, especially in terms of understanding too, like, When you're seeing these gaps, like you're seeing guys come in with these gaps, you know, not understanding addiction, not understanding, you know, who they are, what they need to do. How do you, how do you bridge it?
0: You kind of don't. Let me ask you the most intense
2: question. Yeah, (laughs) I
0: mean, I fought, for a long time I fought with people. I worked in private addiction and I fought with people trying to make them see something in a way that I thought would help them that I know would help them, but there's no. The fight just caused me harm. It just sent me into depression and anxiety. And like all, you can, all, all I can do is like say, "Look, this is this is who I am. This is who I used to be. This is what's on offer for you. I'm no any better than you. When you're ready to do the work, you know where I am. Cause addiction is kind of like a whirlpool. The addict's right in the middle of it, and he's sucking other people around him into that whirlpool whilst they're flailing to get out of it uh, and trying to help. And he doesn't get it. Ultimately, he's so caught up in the the shame of the moment because it's, on some level, they know what they're doing is dishonest and manipulative and conniving and they hate themselves for it, but they can't stop doing it. They can't stop because if you stop, then you have to look at what it is that drives that behaviour. And, and we're afraid of that. Because our head tells us you won't be able to handle these feelings. We don't want to look at the traumas, we don't want to look at the self hatred, the shame, the stuff that we've done in addiction, the stuff that's been done to us. But we need to jump into that. It's a big dark hole. We need to jump in.
2: Well, so much of the culture, too, it's like, I hate that so much of the culture is raising, you know, children. I was raised, you know, to like, you know, girls aren't angry, girl, like, calm always like you know just like it's it's hard to watch people our age now like or any age really like trying to figure out how to like maybe overcome addictions or their trauma and also simultaneously have to learn how to express themselves and their feelings at the same time is like an intense two-step process um
0: a 20, I mean, I'm t- I'll be 24 years clean, I'm still talking to counsellors, I still work steps, I still do the stuff, because I'm never a finished article, there's yeah. always a different level, we talk about the peeling the layer off the onion, it's a fucking Costco bag of onions I've got on <laughs> it's, no, it's yeah. not just one onion, I've got a whole bag layers of on those onions, on man. On like I just keep peeling, and getting to the core, and I think I've, I'm, I've got to the shit, and then, that shows up again in a different place. hundred percent. Well, it
2: makes sense too, is people grow, you know, like maybe all your shit is fucking finally resolved on one day, but the next day you're, you're a different person. Maybe yeah. something's that like trigger. And somebody yeah, else
0: comes that's... into your life. Somebody else comes into your life at a certain time that, that brings up a feeling that was, well, I haven't felt that for 10 years. Yeah. Oh, wow, I thought that was gone.
1: And like, yeah, and it's back. Yeah. <laughs> triggers are, triggers are difficult. And when we're triggered and it can be something so small, it can hit you very hard and you do, you have to deal with it. And you're right. Addiction is a lifelong journey. Even when you're clean, you still have to deal with it because you have to deal with your internal self mm. and you, everyone does. Thoughts, too. Everybody does. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about relationships. Um, you're with Jenny, who is not an addict herself. I have a <laughs> partner <laughs> who <laughs> Me means Stephen are just
2: like giggling into
1: the who is sober, <laughs> and I am not an addict myself, and it's a different it's a very different dynamic and Sam, you also
2: now are I think all three of us like, are yeah in relationships with where one person is not an addict and one person. Is is and it's a very different. Oh yeah, let's
1: talk about this. Yeah.
0: So what you've got is three codependent people.
2: Right <laughs> here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Sitting right here.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I say that without I'm not being funny. That's the reality.
2: No, I know you're dead serious because <gasps> I read the codependent thing. Yeah. I read the I read the form. Yeah. Yep. I mean, <laughs> the
1: one thing when like when I built my relationship was he didn't want a codependent relationship and I didn't want a codependent relationship and we've done like a lot of work together and we've gone through hell and back and but we have built a very strong foundation and we continue to work on it it's never going to be easy but I I do I want to talk about the dynamics because it's not easy and when we first started seeing each other the one thing he said to me is are you sure it won't be easy and I said yeah but what, because what I saw was a real, raw individual who had done tons of self work. And I loved that. I love the self work and the vulnerability and the rawness and the ability to talk and not hide because I've been in bad relationships where they weren't able to do that. And they weren't, you know, in addiction, but they didn't show the vulnerable side and they shut it down. So, yeah, I really want to talk about your dynamic. Well,
0: that that's a, that, that's changed over the years because, yeah. I, you know, when I think I'm being open, I'm not being open. Because it's really easy to slide. If you're not consistently doing the work, it's really easy to slide okay. back into that rock Because I cool. feel like my recovery has been... I'm walking this path and right next to me is that there's this rut in the road mm. that's always been there. And every now and again, I'll go bump and I'll fall into it. And that's my old behavior. That's the old thinking. That's the the, the old way of Stephen, like shutting off. Like even this week, with it, like I, like I said, I had three deaths this week. Mm-hmm. An old friend of mine, heart attack. Uh, one of my clients from the jail got shot and killed. And then Patrick, it was like, holy shit. And I realized yesterday that I was grieving. I realized last night that I'm going through a grieving process right now. I'm 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 feeling. I was feeling angry yesterday, but I I'd gone into myself for a week, and Jenny pointed it out to me. She said, "You've gone. She's hard for me to get to you right now. You've gone into that place, where and I get, I'm always unaware of it when it happens. Jenny notices it first, but I'm very unaware of when I just kind of shut down and. Retreat into some safe space, which usually for me means binging on Netflix, on something silly or Disney Plus right now. It's Agents of Shield. <laughs> That's a
2: I like that so good. So <laughs> it's that, a really good show. I mean, and it is,
0: but 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 I'll do that stuff to my own detriment, to the detriment of my relationship, where where I'll avoid, and and that stuff takes work. There's been a couple of times in my in my marriage where we've almost split up mm-hmm. because that communication is. It's deteriorated to the point where it was like, well, can we ever get this back? Is this ever going to... And then we I had to sit down and say, do we want to be together? Like, yeah, so what do we need to do? Well, we need to do the work. And we need to own our shit. And I need to stop Mm -hmm. making you responsible for for how I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. And take responsibility for my feelings. Because that's what happens when you get to those places. It's like, well, you're doing this. Well, you're behaving like this. Well, you didn't do this. I asked you to do this and then we make the other person responsible.
2: It's easy sometimes to split quickly from being on the same team to being on opposing sides.
0: But I think it's a three way, it's a three prong thing. Yeah, each of you have got your own teams. Mm -hmm. You should, I I realize that each of us have got our own lives, Mm -hmm. our own stuff, and then we've got this other life that we have together. And we need to make sure that those stay stay separate. Totally. Uh, that even to the point where there should be a wee bit of secrecy. You don't need to know everything. Because we talk about, oh, you know me better than I know myself. You know everything about me. It's like, yeah, do you really? Do you really? You don't know what's going on in my, in my mind. I'm a bit hardly aware of it half the time. That, that but that takes practice as well. All this stuff takes practice. Mm-hmm. We can talk about it till we're blue in the fucking face, and we can have an intellectual understanding of it, but none of it means anything until you actually do it,
2: mm-hmm. practice
0: it, put it into action, and, and experience it.
2: I like the uh, the note about practice is really important, and experience too, because I think that's something, especially for addictions, that we see a lot. Is that a lot of people who may or may not be educated in you know addictions and all of that are like making decisions about like making really important decisions that impacts people's life and death quality of life you know all of those things seep out into there they ripple effect everywhere but and it's it's frustrating too that gap to try to talk to someone who's making decisions about addictions and having never done drugs Or having never lost anybody, or having never truly understanding that experience, because they might be compassionate and want to help, but there is this gap of understanding, and it's so frustrating. Being like you don't, you don't get it. Well, take that.
0: Take that a step further, Sam. Push it. People who who are working all day long in one of these homeless hotels in Victoria, right? Working with the the people at their worst. At the most base level of being human, being human, and those folks when they go home at work to the end of the day in order to deal with that, have a glass of wine and a joint. That's a that's a disconnect there for me. It's like you're we are dealing with the people that you're supposed to be helping as they go home and get
2: stoned. That's fucked. Actually, shout out to our main main homie and third co-founder Audrey, but she has been doing some intense frontline work at one of the homeless shelters and. It, I think it's like in the kindest way possible, like killing her because she's like, I just have this compassionate fatigue where every single day I like roll up and I'm trying to Narcan people and the police hate us and the ambulance never show up. And Audrey's like my, we're young. She's like actually trying to deal with this, trying to like, you know, just make a job and do something she's passionate about. But she's like, also, she's like, I'm so tired because yeah. it's band-aids. Yeah. every single day and she's like how long can I do this for
0: it's palliative care yes we're, we're indulging in, in palliative care we've opened a whole bunch mm-hmm. of hospices in Victoria and under under the guise of like harm reduction we're in a we're in a world right now where we've kind of got out of balance we've got really out of balance this this is my deep belief that we need to meet people where they're at right that's the, that's the phrase we need to meet them where they're at I'm like yep of course you do but I ain't gonna fucking lay there with them. I'm gonna meet them there, but I'm not gonna hang out there with them. What we're doing is hanging out with people. We've opened hotels and allowed them to turn them into Dante's Inferno, Mm -hmm. and we're just hanging out there with them. We're just giving them free drugs. We're meeting them at their worst, and then we're helping them stay there. We're not trying to move people past it. You need to allow somebody to self-determine, air quotes. (laughs) Self-determination is okay if that muscle works. You're asking somebody to self-determine who was in Beacon Hill Park on their knees, giving somebody a blowjob to feed their habit the night before. They've lost the ability to self-determine. Mm-hmm. That's, that's naive and and silly and and I believe it's oppressive. The totally. anti-oppressive stuff that feeds us is oppressive.
2: Yeah, well, and you're so right. Like these, these air quotes housing project spaces there is no steps or no like real accessible steps or if there are there's no like intervention in between for people who want to come out of that and if they do where are they going to go maybe they can go to a program but stay here where all this drug habit is happening and uh, you know it's like
0: there's thousands of people in recovery in victoria but we're never part of the conversation when it comes to this stuff instead you've got instead you've got like groups that are still using being funded by, Island Health, to be part of the—I'm not going to use the names—but I think you know who I'm talking about. It's like mm-hmm. you've got you've got the, the you've got people who are still in their insanity, solid. I'm talking about mm-hmm. society of living IV drug users, people who are still living in their own insanity of addiction, disease, thinking, like v- selfishness, are actually being paid to be part of a solution in Victoria. That I—I find that to be one of the most insane things I've ever had in my life. It and no harm to them, that, yeah. I, that I have compassion for them. But there's a whole group of us out here that are in recovery that have got tons of experience. I mean, and I've been at the worst, I shared needles in jail. I've, I've you know, I've been at 120 pounds, I had Hep C for 25 fucking years. It's like, right now you're looking at me, people meet me and I'm, I'm a middle class guy with a career, a social work degree, I own a piece of property, i my chosen. I was on the streets of Glasgow and I did time in Scotland, England, all over. Like that's I lived that life that these people work, so I know what it's like to be on both sides of that. And we've got the lunatics running the asylum, basically. Yes. Yes. It's so frustrating. It's, it's, super so, frustrating. It is frustrating. it's so frustrating. It's
1: setting up everybody for failure. There, you. There is no possible way that you can pick up your stuff and yourself off the ground, and get a good paying job and find yourself a house and get some food and deal with your addiction. There's no possible way the individuals in these, I like what you called them,
2: hostels, can help themselves. There's There's no way. There's not, I like the word momentum. Mm -hmm. Yes. But momentum, it's like, I am very privileged because I have always had people around me who have helped me maintain that momentum even when I was struggling with it. And that's getting to school, getting to work, making sure I'm eating, doing these things that are like, Mike's laughing at me right now because he's one of those main people. Um, But not a lot of people have that support. Mm -hmm. And not a lot of momentum is, it's not just created out of self-will. A lot of people maybe wanna overcome this shit but totally like there's no momentum to pull no. you out of it like you it's like concrete you're digging you're trying to swim through concrete so self any of
0: well, is what's killing people man if, if that was enough then people would have their kids their kids wouldn't be in the care of ministry. Yeah. the ministry the, their families would they would have jobs they would have careers and all that kind of stuff That this is a this is a bigger thing and here, here's another thing that That I believe the the rise of secularism Mm -hmm. has created a bigger disconnect in our society, and I'm not a religious guy in the slightest. I agree. I am not a religious Mm -hmm. guy at all. But churches used to be community places where people went and hung out together and met for a for a all those things. And we're living in a world right now. And you started off by saying people are individuals. yeah, people are, are individuals, but the reality is it's a human experience. We all experience the same feelings. Mm-hmm. The answers aren't all that different for everybody. We need to talk about our shit, we need to work through it, and we need to get around people that care about us for who we are and, and understand what it is that we're going through. The answers that aren't different for everybody, they're not. We live in this world where we're being told that everybody has different answers. It's not true.
2: No, I agree with you fully too. And something that we really tried to incorporate into CHP that seems like brutally obvious (laughs) is meeting people where they're at. Because you're right. Like everyone that comes to us for help needs and wants the same things. They want a quality of life. They want this routine and this momentum and to just be in a place where they feel safe and happy. But those things in that process might look different for people, but it's usually the same shit. It's yeah. just meeting them where they're at because sometimes guys come out and they are homeless. Yeah. So mm-hmm. meeting them there is very different than being like, yo, you got to get a job right away. But some guy coming out with support with family without programming who can get a job right away isn't a place for that help. And meeting them there is then, A, easier because we're not just like confused and throwing out random crap. But it's obvious because...
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Like, this community wants to help, and there are solutions. And when we meet people where they're at, and they want to be there, they can see the steps, and they can do that work, and we can watch them. You can measure that success. They can measure that success and growth. But having someone come in with addictions, never knowing about it, from the street, and then just being like, yo, you got to straighten up, is like like, just random words. Yeah. Because what does that mean? Where do you start? Where are they at?
0: Yeah. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff that gets in the way. True. There's abusive families, like never having family. There's, uh, you you know, trust issues. There's uh, people who can't read and write. Mm
2: -hmm. I think, though, we can still meet people where they're at with that because everyone's got it. And that was something I really noticed when I was volunteering inside the prison is that, like, you know majority a lot of young guys but every single one has you know different trauma different experiences different barriers like reading you know like mental health like addictions but like I've also seen guys who like can't read like come out and they have families and they like learn how to overcome but like totally starting starting someone on the momentum of learning how to read is very different to meet someone there than mm-hmm. to just have everyone come in with this like you know one size fits all program and it's like yo homie can't read the program <laughs> you're obviously not meeting him where he's at he you know like yeah. how do you expect him to be successful but there's answers empathy I feel I like we always come back to
0: that empathy is a bit a, yeah it's a bit yeah uh, I can't empathize with everybody
1: no you no I mean it's, it's one of
0: those it's one of those terms that gets kind of throwing around.
1: I know I've had to actually educate a few people on the term empathy because they feel like oh you have to have empathy for that person and I said actually you don't you cannot have empathy for every single person because sometimes that person will just not change and I have had to have those conversations with people and that is something we want to do is is actually educate on what empathy is because you are right I agree with you that term has been lost yeah. and well, we need to talk about it.
0: Well we them, can't you know? always empathize with people. Just no. Because, I mean I don't know I, I don't know what it's like to be to To grow up in a household that 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 went through residential schools, I have no idea. I can't even begin to empathize with that. No. I'm not a I'm not a First Nations person. I'm a white guy from Scotland. I didn't come much more white than me. I started. <laughs> I'm almost fucking see through. I'm so white. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I, I can't. There's no, there's no way I can empathize with
1: that.
2: No, you can't. I can, then
0: I can just be an ally.
2: What's cool exactly. about empathy is that the core of it is understanding, and even though not everyone can understand the same experiences fair enough like everyone does have those their own experiences and like because you're an ally you also understand that like you might not be able to directly relate to someone from a residential school who's had that experience but I know because you're an ally you're reading you know you're talking to people like that to understand you're not silencing them you know like you're making room for those types of things and that you know, those are all just as important, even if you can't directly relate to that experience. Yeah, the and fact that, that you're trying to understand too.
0: Well, and I think that you know. that's well, working at Wilkinson over the last five years. I've understood that I'm not trying to save people. I'm just building relationships. That's all it is. Like I'm building trust. When when guys guys just want to know that they can talk to him they can talk to you about anything. Uh and it's safe you know you give them a relationship with and I don't I don't put up with crap either it's like don't I tell, when I start my relationships with guys I'll say to them don't blow smoke up my ass I won't do it to you I'll tell you straight how I feel what I think's going on if it doesn't stick it doesn't stick that's okay but it's just about building those relationships
1: absolutely I agree with you I there I really love and respect yeah. you for that so
0: yeah. just, the vast majority of guys there I got on really well with and I got on with some of, like, the, the toughest dudes that ain't even... I've spent time with some guys that ain't even addicts. They just want to talk. And I have found somebody they can trust and talk to. And
2: well, and so I think we got that a lot when we volunteered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was insane. Like, I think that really freaked my mom out when I was like, yeah, like, a lot of these guys are in here for, like, seriously violent crimes. But, like, I trust most of them with my life now. Yeah. You know, and it's this. it's a really... It's like kind of a trip, I think, for my mom to process, and simultaneously for me too. That it's like this is just not, like it's my peeps, like you said. It's just, it's a lot more casual than I think people think too.
0: Yeah. And do you know? Do you know? This is a funny note, right? This is kind of funny. The the Addis blowing smoke. You don't blow smoke up my ass. Do you know mm-hmm. where that comes from?
1: No, educate us,
0: Stephen. Uh, oh, is it for? Oh, is it smuggling m- stuff? In? No. Oh, Me- medical. Back in the day of medical quackery, when they would electrocute <laughs> people and
2: medical quackery. When they
0: would electrocute <laughs> people or whatever and try, because the idea that these things helped, they used to do tobacco enemas.
2: Oh. They had
0: tobacco enema machines that that when people were unconscious, they would stick a hose up their ass and throw no. tobacco up their ass. What thinking. would that? That sounds like you're. It was It was, it made, it, it was worse. That it was it was a so cruelty. but but I mean that's funny because that's where that came from but think about it when you're when you're blowing stuff when you're throwing empty plaudits and empty empty stuff at people just to keep yourself happy or make yourself look good you're actually not helping at all you're making things worse so blowing smoke up somebody's ass is actually quite dangerous
2: for <laughs> multiple reasons <laughs> obviously for for,
0: for the original original reasons as well as what it has come to mean huh. yeah.
2: Fun fact of the day. (laughs) (laughs) We are probably going to wind up here soon. But but there's there's one question. Yeah.
1: One question that we've been asking is, in an ideal world, no restrictions, no red tape. In an ideal world. Yeah. What do you think, in your opinion, could help the situation we're in? What do we need
2: to give people a fighting chance? we're going to start off with the most intense question and end with the most intense question.
0: uh well, for me it's a, it's a simple one but it's it'd be, mm-hmm. be, it'd be very very difficult to put into practice it's a, it's you need to start in school. Yes. You start in school because people ain't, people the second place that anybody ever gets shamed the first place will be your home. The second place will be school when a teacher will say something to a child like how would your parents feel if you saw you behaving like this? you're shaming a child when they're, they're at their youngest. And like, yep. that was how I grew up uh, in school. But so I would start there. I would start giving, teaching kids what self-worth is and validating them in, in, in self-respect. And like, it has to start there because they might not be getting it at home. Yeah,
2: The like, first place that it, we, when talking to people who were incarcerated, I started asking them the first time they were segregated and every single person said the first time they were ever segregated was in elementary school. Yep, and standard. I was I was thinking, like, yeah, like when I, I did something and then I got sent to the hole. No. Every single person I asked, I was in school, I was labeled a bad M&M, I am the way you say I am, labeled a bad kid, taken yep. out of class, put somewhere different.
0: But that's a whole bigger, that's a whole other mm-hmm. thing. That's podcast another podcast. Because, that's another because <laughs> podcast. The, the, yes. the school system we've got is the same school system that was created to produce factory workers for the industrial revolution. We've still got the same system. It's not about creating thinkers.
2: No. It's -hmm. about
0: creating consumers and non-thinkers. That's a
2: a whole whole other podcast. podcast. I have a little machine pushing out little worker children and getting rid of the other ones. Ding, ding, ding. And now we're all here in this room. That's
0: (laughs) That's why my son never went to school.
2: I... Actually, the first time I ever, the way that you and Jenny teach homeschooling was like the first time that I'd ever heard of homeschooling and was like, fuck yeah, because other people doing it, I, I don't know. I don't want to go. that's another podcast thing too, but but your guys you know, thought process about, you know, interest-based learning, you know, still being able to teach him in ways that aren't brought up in an institution because like i was and like now i have to fucking deinstitutionalize myself and that's going to take forever
0: well same so thing my kid's 18 now but by, by 18 I read the, i'd already been in jail two or three times i started when i was 17. i was in young offenders institution in scotland at 17. so f- finn's already streets ahead of me <laughs> thank god
2: you got a good kid. We do. I love he's your very kid.
1: smart and he seems very compassionate. He's a good, he's a good kid. And yeah. you did that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Squirrel, though, your cat is a different story. <laughs> and, and a little Yeti. <laughs> uh, all right. Thank you so much, you guys, today for joining us. It really means a lot. We hope you're all doing okay out there. And uh, if you've had a hard week too, we're with you. And uh, thank you for tuning in to this really important important podcast and uh we will be back too with some more guests to keep diving in and exploring this critical topic
1: and i just want to say if you know somebody or you yourself are struggling you're having a hard time there are people that will listen there are support systems out there and maybe you don't know us but we are always here we love to talk we are here and we know people that will have your back
2: if you wanna do good, if you wanna get that momentum, we wanna help. Peace. Bye.
0: Peace out. Thanks, Salmon Bree. Welcome. Thank you.